Love Christmas. Love Christmas movies, especially the classics. The year without a Santa Claus with the heat miser and the cold miser was actually on at a bar last week that I was at without the sound on, and I was acting like 12. The people with me are like, will you calm down? I'm like, it's the heat miser. It's the cold miser. Come on. Let's do it. All right, football frenzy time, but much more to get to beyond football. John Von Tobel is here with us here at Silver 7. He's the company. James is helping out. Ari's back in the studio. 77-cent beers coming up. Once the kickoff of uh, Thursday Night Football is in the air, Jets and Jags. There's also a 777 special, a couple of hot dogs, some chips, and a big beer. So take advantage of the specials. you got the William Hill Race and Sportsbook here. Across the way, we're at the Bud Light Lounge, but they've also got the Silver and Gold Bar. Free parking. Free parking. Flamingo in Paradise, it's Silver 7s. So we got a UNLV basketball game tonight. Rebels out to a 10-1 start. Disappointing loss because of the way it went down against San Francisco. Not a disappointing loss because it was embarrassing or the opponent sucked. I was... Uh, I don't know if it's sparring when you go at someone and they don't come back, but... Um, a local podcast keeps saying that the San Francisco loss is a terrible loss. I'm like, they are a good team. I think they will finish top four in a very deep West Coast conference. And did you check out what happened last night to Arizona State on the road at San Fran? Holy crap. Early on. 37 points, not good. It was 41-11. to 11. San Francisco actually took it easy on them down the stretch. And only won by, what was the final? Was it 97-60. 97-60? The game wasn't that close. Arizona State was 11-1 and coming in at a top 25 team. Right. Which I do find kind of fascinating because the team in some ways is built around uh, Dexter Cambridge and Warren Washington, who were part of a very underwhelming Nevada team a year ago. Mm-hmm. But that aside, San Francisco is a good team with veteran guards. Now, did UNLV blow it down the stretch? Yeah. That was a wake-up call. they got to close out games, and being without Elisha Parquet, who, according to John Rothstein, is out four to six weeks. Kevin Kruger would not confirm that yesterday. But this is going to be a much different team in the middle of the season, and tonight they play Southern Miss. 11-1 team, a little bit deceiving because of the schedule they've played. Uh, By the way, the net rankings and Ken Palm are all out of whack. What do you say that? Well, the net rankings have Southern Miss 22. I think Ken Palm has Southern Miss at 153. Uh, 140 as of today. 140. Okay, so one measure that people use, number 140 team in the country, the other one 22. Come on. With their best wins being Vanderbilt and Liberty. Okay. And those are two top, you know, 100 programs, whatever. Rebels are eight, eight and a half point favorites. Seems like a lot. I think the market has come to respect UNLV, and rightfully so, right? They're a good defensive team. But I will say, and you tell me if this is something or nothing, because I I think you can look at this one a couple of different ways. We essentially have two games without Elijah Parquet, right? Because we we played like five minutes 
uh, before he got injured, right? I think it was around there. The two highest individual game defensive ratings that UNLV has allowed are the last two games, mm-hmm. right? That coincides with arguably your best on-ball defender not being there. Having said that, you go back over some of these losses, like I was just looking at some of these numbers right down, Zane Meeks killed them, right? Zane Meeks is a six foot nine center, essentially, had 17 and 7, was really good inside, was perfect. 17 inside. and 17. Yeah, seven, or excuse me, yeah. yeah, 17 and 17. Yep. Um, yeah, 17 and 17, right? Six offensive rebounds, killed him inside, was a perfect 7 to 7, is what I meant to say, inside the arc. So, like, you could say, okay, they've had their two worst defensive games the last two games the parquet went down, but also, like, a big dude killed them. So which one is it, right? Is it you're missing one of your better perimeter defenders, or are we starting to see the downside of playing with a relatively small team? Yeah, if you don't bust your ass rebounding right. when you're a smaller team, you're going to have halves and games like this. And, you know, this is the third time it's happened. It happened in the first half against Dayton. It happened in the first half against Washington State. And then they evened up the rebounding battle. They were much better in the second. But they never found an answer to the, the rebounds, and especially defensive rebounding and keeping San Fran off the offensive glass. And that... Listen, this is the way they want to play. Could they play double bigs? Yes. Would they be as good defensively? No. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll figure it out, and they're going to rebound better, but it is the risk you take. And by the way, Zane Meeks is really a stretch four, so it's not even like he's a power big. Right. Well, and that's, so that's what makes tonight interesting, too, because, by the way, for UNLV, because you said it, you kind of like pick your poison. If you go on Ken Palm, right, and everything's color-coded, so like green to red, red is bad. If you look at the defensive profile for UNLV, it's all green, but there's one red. And that's opponent offensive rebounding rate. They're giving up 31.3%. So nearly a third of opponent missed shots they're grabbing. That's not good, right? That's not good. It's 270th in the country. But everything else you've been brilliant at. So that's kind of the one thing you're kind of choosing to do with the way you constructed your roster. Why that makes this interesting is Felipe Haas, who plays for Southern Miss today, is a six foot nine, stretch forward, who is shooting 50% from three, but is also grabbing a ton of rebounds, is their leading scorer and their leading rebounder, who you could have a lot of trouble with. He's 6'9, 240. So, like, that's another guy who today, Southern Miss as a whole, might not be that great, but the yeah. matchup itself is pretty fascinating because this dude who, by the way, also, if you look at his background, relatively three-star kid, went to South Carolina for a couple years, uh, went to Mercer before he transferred to Southern Miss. He's a talented guy, and you could have a lot of trouble with him tonight. It's going to be a tale of three seasons. So they got out to a great start, awesome defensively, mostly held up rebounding for the first nine and a half, ten games. This middle portion of the season, if Parquet is out four to six weeks, much different looking team. Maybe in some ways better offensively because Jackie Johnson's going to get more minutes. But defensively, they're not going to be as good, and they can't exactly play what they've been doing, a three-level defense and having Parquet guard the primary ball handler or secondary coming up the floor. And then eventually they'll get Parquet back, and then it's going to be different. But in that middle portion, as you go into conference play, not everyone in the Mountain West Conference plays one big four smalls. Right. There are some teams that will play two bigs, and I think that's how some teams are going to try to match up. And we, you and I always talk about this with UNLV and college basketball in general. Um, if, if it is big v. small, it's basically a battle within the game to see who's going to dictate things and force the other team to change. And now the Rebels are going to deal with a lot more size. Like San Diego State's coming up on New Year's Eve. San Diego State can play double big. Mm-hmm. They, they, can, they can play 6'11", 6'9", and they're both true bigs. So that'll be a test. There's other teams. If EK comes back for Wyoming, they can play double big. So the season is far from over. And, I, you know, I was saying last night on people, well, on Twitter, on social media, people are freaking out because they, you know, they lost this game to San Francisco. I'm like, long season, folks. And teams that get off to great starts can, like, I, I don't think this will happen, but it would not shock me if 11-1 and Arizona State before last night 
goes, what do they play in the Pac-12? They play 20 or 18, whatever they play, right? Yeah. I would not shock me if Arizona State got out of the gates 11-1 and goes 7-11 and in conference. Right. It's completely different in terms of the season you're playing. And like you said, I mean, just I, were you expecting to win every single game? Like, that's the other part I think some it. people got spoiled in. They were going to win every single non-conference game. And while they didn't play a murderer's row of you know, top 25 teams, they mostly played top 175 teams right. in Ken Palm. And there was going to be some tough games. And I, I thought from the beginning, when I saw the schedule, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's San Francisco, the team that ripped them last year by 21. And that game was worse than 21 up there. Like, you knew that was going to be a tough game. And it was a... Bad matchup from this standpoint. That team is used to playing small. They don't have to play big, and their guards are small. Yep. But they were shifty, and they didn't shoot the three ball well, and they finally got it going at the worst time and closed out things 11-0. And, and I, I will say, too, the other interesting development as we go into this game, because we talk a lot about their defense, which we rightfully should, UNLV, by my count, is 15 of 49 over the last two games from three-point range. Got to be right that, that all of a sudden has fallen off the face of a cliff, and sometimes you go through shooting slumps. But that was also one of the interesting parts about this team coming into the year was were they going to be a good and consistent shooting team? And for the most part, they've been like above average. They've been fine. But you can't fall off the face of a cliff like that like you've done each of the last two games, and that really, that has not helped them. 364-1100, caller 7. We've got Iggy Pop Tickets, uh, 2023 show at the Palms inside the Pearl. Caller 7, Iggy Pop. 364-1100, 364-1100. Caller number 7. Coming up next, let's talk about yesterday's National Signing Day around college football, the first one, and so many good storylines, including remember how much Dabo Sweeney hated the money that was coming into college football for the players? He has finally embraced NIL. Festivus is this Friday. Air your grievances live on the show or leave us a message at 702-509-1325. It's Festivus this Friday on Cofield and Company. If I hear like Mariah Carey or NSYNC like happy holidays again, makes my brain want to blow up. NSYNC. What you talking about, Gary? Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas. Silver 7's on a Thursday. Thursday Night Football is on the way. Jets and Jaguars. We were just talking about college sports getting into college football and signing day yesterday. What do you think? What's your what's your big narrative coming out of signing day? How fired up do you get? Uh, not really, actually, that fired up. I've been trying to get a little bit more into it, um, just with helping out now with UNLV coverage and whatnot and, and tracking more college football this season and last season for coverage from a sports betting standpoint. Um, so nothing really crazy. I will say that when you get guys who, like, flip last minute and whatnot, you, you know, used to get that every once in a while. Now I feel like a lot of people freak out a little bit more because there's NIL in the mix and what it took to get those guys to right. flip. Um, but I thought, like, the college football nerds were like, it was a crazy signing day. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't really see it. Yeah, I think unless you're, like, a hardcore college football fan and you follow one of the top 30 teams, uh, most people look on it from, you know, or at it from the outside, and they're like, okay, you know, we'll see these guys in three years, maybe a couple, right. <laughs> maybe a few of them play here or there as freshmen. Dabo Sweeney, who openly complained multiple times about five years ago about money going to the players, man, he's changed his tune. For me, we we built this program on NIL. 
We really did. And and I, it's probably different than what you're thinking, though. We, we built this program uh, in God's name, image, and likeness. And that's how I look at it. So, <laughs> oh, man. I love Dabo. He's righteous. He sucks. He sucks, dude. He's so unlikable. I don't know why anybody, especially now, look, anybody would kill for the track record of Dabo Swinney and what this program has done, blah, 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 whatever. The way the program's headed, I don't know, man. I'm just going to say I don't know because for those who don't really like follow a ton of it, his offense this year stunk, and a lot of people are going to point at DJ Uyangalai. But if you read actually what's gone around on the program, it's a bunch of dudes who don't have Power 5 experience calling plays who he just brought up because they're Clemson guys, right? He's been so openly anti-paying players, right, in real NIL that I don't know if you'd ever really want to play for him. And if he's going to continue to do this thing with his offense where he's bringing guys like DJ Uyangalale, who are highly touted dudes, down because the play calling is so bland and terrible, I don't know. I just I feel like they're not like solidly up at the perch. And a lot of people, it's already hard enough for Alabama, right, we're seeing. Yeah. A, team, a team like Clemson run by a dude who's super unlikable, I don't. I, th- I think it only lasts so long. Be fascinating to see where DJU lands. Like if it's a you know mid level, lower power five school and just excels with a good offensive coach. I mean, one of the one of the. By the way, I mean UNLV fans might want to track it because one of the names that is thrown out there is Hawaii. Yeah, Timmy Chang said yesterday that they're all set in the quarterback room. I don't know what that means. Um, I I think for for DJU to go to Hawaii is a little crazy. I but, get the, I get the connection. I think there's better places to go, but. Um, they they do have some momentum because uh, Timmy Chang was aggressive. Well, I, I think it, it's not because DJ U, DJ Uyangole stinks. It's because in this game of musical chairs, his chairs are getting filled up and he's still out there, right? Like even some of these these programs that are grabbing like some of these t- highly touted quarterbacks, they, they they sound willing to go to battle with some of these young dudes. Well, but if to your point about the chairs being filled, if DJU decided, you know what, I want to go to Florida. Florida would tell Graham Mertz in a second, bro, you can still come, but you're probably not going to play. So you may, like, because we saw it happen last year. UCLA was a billion percent ready to move on from DTR. Mm-hmm. They had, uh, what, Dylan Gabriel committed, and then a week later he changed his mind. So something could change. I don't see him landing. Listen, I, there might be something going on behind the scenes that we don't know. Well, I, I think now because you're I don't right. see him landing at Hawaii. Right. Well, I, I think you're right also because like Florida might be the best spot, but there's also thoughts that they like Jack Miller a lot, who started the game in here right against uh, Oregon State, and Graham Mertz might be there just to be a backup potentially for them. Now, I, again, that's that's all just you know reading uh, reading stories and whatnot. But it's like guys like Michael Penix, I think he's coming back. Right. Bo yep. Nix comes back. Yep. Like all of these spots where you say, hey, that's a good spot for well, a transfer Oregon seemed like. If you didn't know about Bo Nix coming back, Oregon seemed like a, a good choice now because yep. DJU's younger brother surprised a lot of people, big defensive end, going to Oregon. Yep. But I guess they're not going to play together. No. Unless something crazy happens, unless Bo Nix is going to surprise us and he's transferring again. So that's what I meant by this chair's filling up. Like with guys deciding to come back like a Penix or, or a Bo Nix, highly like, touted quarterbacks going to programs like what UCLA just landed a highly touted kid, right, didn't they, a quarterback? Uh, Freshman though, yeah, right. But it seems like they're willing. Again, you're just reading reports right. that they wanted, like they want to go with him. Um, it just seems that maybe the chairs are filling up. I still think he's super talented, and like he can land at a better program, and I think bring them a lot of success and a better offense. But it would be interesting. 
So the reason why he's interesting is that you got a former quarterback, really good quarterback, running the program. If uh, I were Uwe Youngalele, um, I would absolutely go somewhere where there's a really good OC. They have a good reputation as a throwing program, and that doesn't mean I have to go Power Five. Like Fresno would be a place I would go to. Now they scooped up a kid, Mikey Keene, from Central Florida, but that like that's the kind of place I'm going to. I'm not risking it again, having someone like Dabo and his inexperienced offensive coaches bring me down even further. Like I, I gotta, I have to guarantee I'm landing somewhere where they freaking throw the ball and they have a history of it. A really good offensive coordinator, an established mind, one who's got a lot of respect in college football, who's led some of the maybe like one of the more potent offenses we've seen in a really long time. Sounds like Bobby Petrino. <laughs> I think I'll take Doug Brumfield for the next couple of years. I know. But think about it. Seriously, it, huh? I, I think DJU's situation is fascinating. We will probably be surprised where he lands. I think so, too. And, and I think a lot of people would see it as a downgrade. Like, oh, that's too. It might be a pretty solid Power 5 play, you know, a group that's going to be there. And there's also, by the way, there's also the hanging carrot of Grayson McCall, who's still going to play for his team. It goes to Carolina for his bowl, and then he and he is out. Like he he's already said he's going to transfer. I really I'm really interested in following that one because, you know, while did you see Ryan Day was complaining about NIL? Like this is now now we've reached peak absurdity. Right. The Ohio State coach, the Buckeyes program has every exam or every advantage out there. Um, and if they want to freaking go hog wild on NIL, like Penn State, I just saw what they give out like four different. Teslas, yep. Tesla deals to like four different players. The the biggest boys in college football can do whatever they want. You know, who I want to see come to the table and continue to buy themselves into the world of football. God, I would love to see McCall actually follow his coach and go. You know what? No, I'm not going to go Power Five. I'm going to go to Liberty. And Liberty, like Liberty, should just come out and say it. Yeah, we gave him seven mil. Right. And we're in it. Now, don't tell the parishioners that you know you're using all your. We're using all your donation money to build a good football program. There might be enough brainwashed people who are around Liberty that'd be like, yeah, it's good. Good. Yeah, spend our money on football. Oh, they'd be down. It's God. It's Jesus, then football. Um, Football, then Jesus. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, I will say, because I I would like that situation too, the rumors are, because Notre Dame lost Drew Pine, and they haven't gone into the transfer portal to grab anybody, because they know that Grayson McCall is going to be on the way. Oh, wow. That'd be a nice get. It would be, although I mean, not a lot of weapons there, so you got to think they're part of the reason why their offense stunk is because they had one really good tight end to throw to, and that was it. It wasn't just Drew Pine's fault. UNLV signed seven yesterday in the early signing period. Barry Odom now on the job about sixteen days. It's going to sound weird. Is that too many signees? Two weeks on the job, and with the transfer portal being so productive a year ago for UNLV. I mean, uh, maybe, but like, a couple of them were obviously guys who had committed already and who decided to stick through with the commitments, right? So that's part of the reason why the class so is so big. So that's two. And right. if you remember, um, when Arroyo took over for Sanchez, I think Sanchez had 12 or 13 verbals, and he was like, eh, I'll take two right. or three. Yeah. He didn't honor any of them. That's a good point. I mean, I also think they're all positions of need. Big fellows and tight ends. Right. So I don't think it's really I, – I think they're going to, first of all, I have. I will not speak about anyone on this roster, and even Brumfield. I'm a little bit hesitant, as like, hey, they're part of the program. I have no freaking idea, because I think it takes weeks and weeks to analyze who you want on the team and, and who you don't, and then who wants to be on the team and who doesn't. There could be 
Hey, last year UNLV brought in, I think it was brought in 31 and 23 left the program. You got the same kind of numbers. I wouldn't recommend that high. But you think about what the transfer portal did a year ago. They got a 1,000-yard running back in Aiden Robbins. They got their number two receiver in Ricky White. Weimer's maybe was recruited. He was a Juco. Uh, Jordan Morgan from Iowa State turned out to be a starter. They got a lot out of the transfer portal. Yeah, Preston Nichols was their best offensive lineman from Charleston Southern. So I think they're going to – I think what you're seeing here and the way it's shaping up, they only signed seven. The – the coaches who are really working right now are the holdovers, and I don't mean the other guys aren't working, but like out on the trail. And there's got to be some other coaches who have already. Um, I think Vance Vice, the uh, the O line coach, has made a bunch of offers. And then you're seeing pockets. What's happening is UNLV is going out. They're making offers, and then I assume they're telling the kids, "Hey, I want that offer out there on Twitter." And it looks like uh, like Nate Longshore has been pounding Southern California, uh, Coach Damon, right, safety's coach. He's been all over Texas. Mm-hmm. There's connects in Missouri. I think I saw an Alabama offer. There's been some offers in the South. But if you noticed. There's an Arkansas offer too, isn't there? A lot of Arkansas yeah. offers. If you've noticed, all the offers that are being put up on Twitter now are for 24s, 25s, and 26s. Yeah. So what does that mean for the second go-round in recruiting for UNLV? Is it going to be a bunch of 20, 23s? I don't know. Um, I like the approach because I wouldn't, I wouldn't just rush to take a bunch of 20, 23s just to fill the spots. Screw that. Yeah. No, I, th- I think so, and I think when it comes to this this recruiting class too, the one the early signees, like when you talk about the number of them, you you can also talk yourself into like some of the guys, like the Conti kid, Lucas Conti, seems like a pretty good get. And, and to that get was a good him. flip. He was committed to Arizona. Um, again, that's where you you're seeing a lot of offers twenty four, twenty five, twenty six in uh, Southern California down to San Diego, and this kid was at what Centennial Corona, yep. and he had been offered by. A bunch of power fives, and somehow they got them to flip. Keep going. So I just like to your point. Like it might seem like, hey, you know, it seems like a lot of guys. But if you're if you're going to get a guy like that, if you're going to get him to flip, you're adding him. Like you're taking him in, and then yeah. we'll see. We'll see how everything falls. And again, it's also a position of need. You can always use bodies along a defensive line. I'm not the the way it works now. At, at for group of five, especially for UNLV, until you're winning, I I don't know that I can afford to take more than like. 13 or 14 freshmen because I don't know if they're going to stay around. I don't know if they're going to be in it to, to win it, you know what I mean, and and tough it out for three years. Like, And you took over a five-win program that could not win close games, a lot of close games. They're not that far away. I mean, I, I know there are people out there who want to be overly negative about UNLV football, but they were close in a bunch of these games, and you saw how Fresno closed out the season. And UNLV makes some freaking tackles in that game. Mm-hmm. They beat Fresno. You know, Doug Brumfield doesn't make a couple of mistakes against San Diego State. They win that game. Fresno won their bowl game easily. And by the way, the North Texas team that UNLV slaughtered was neck and neck in the entire way with Boise. Fresno won, yeah, won their bowl game easily. They won the Mountain West title easily. Easily. <laughs> Kicked the crap out of Boise. In Boise. And, and they, um, you were there. Yep. There were a couple of tackles that they could not execute near the sidelines. That blew it for them. They were close. So, Barry Odom's coming in. They need to win. They need to get to another level this year. Something else interesting locally. Did you see Bishop Gorman had 15 kids sign? Now, their defensive backfield, I think three of them are like Georgia, LSU, and what's the other SEC program? It was, it was, cra- it was crazy, right? They also had kids go around the level of UNLV and lower. 
What do you think their approach is going to be, especially with Gorman and Liberty and maybe Desert Pines as well? And if I leave out another powerhouse high school, I apologize. How smart do you think it is to take some kids who are on that cut line just to establish what you're trying to do locally? It would probably help, especially when, I mean, look, one of Odom's primary things that he was asked about and talked about was at the opening press conference, which was establishing the ties out here in Las Vegas. Reestablish. Uh, reestablish. That went bye-bye. No, right. he didn't say reestablish. I'm just saying oh, it's okay. reestablishing because Sanchez had him and then uh, Arroyo and staff just chose to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So I think you're probably trying to do that. But, I mean, I also – what's the balance of taking on players who maybe you don't necessarily think fit, but you're doing it to establish a tie-in with a program out here? Yeah. Right? Like, like, what is more important to you, the value of the player fitting into your system or, yeah, we'll take a fringe roster guy just so I can make sure that, you know, the Silverados and others of the world are happy with me as head coach of UNLV? They've got to develop and fix a relationship with Bishop Gorman. 100%. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and Arroyo had a decent one with Liberty getting uh, Jaden Maiava, the quarterback, and that Ed Haynes offensive lineman this year. And more importantly, beyond just the Gorman relationship, the relationship with the Fertitas. Their name is on the football facility. Yeah. They contributed north of $30 million to get it done. Or- uh, DRF, I don't know why she did it, but she pushed them off to a certain extent. I don't know how much Arroyo was given an opportunity or took advantage, and maybe it wasn't even there. Maybe they were so annoyed with the way they were kind of treated at the end with Sanchez that they're, you know, they were like, man, no thanks. But they've got to repair that relationship. And I'll give you a way that you can repair relationships. You do have a lot of spots on your coaching staff, and you've been around the UNLV football program and been on those plane rides for road trips. They have a lot of analysts. Yeah, they do. So, if you remember, Nico Fertitta played college football at Notre Dame. I remember. He was just recently on the LSU coaching staff because their guy freaking loves him from his days coaching him at Notre Dame. So, that'd be a nice move, right? Yeah. You do a lot of things for a lot of purposes, whether it's recruiting and putting certain kids on your roster or having certain coaches on the staff. So, that has got to be fixed. I would agree. There's yeah. no more messing around. You can't, you can't let that relationship be sour for any longer. No, I would agree. And it, there's obviously a lot of talent there. And I think, too, the, the, what you were looking for, one of the defensive backs, uh, we're talking about Oregon, LSU, and Georgia, yeah. the three defensive backs for Mr. Gorman. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty good. USC on the roster of Gorman, you know, as well. So, you, you're not going to – you probably won't get any of those kids anytime soon. But to kind of – build back that relationship you, you certainly could you take a kid going to utah tech or well, there's a kid going to penn i don't think i would not go to penn to go to unlv nothing against unlv but but you get my point no of course i do and and look there's also there is something to be said of like i know a lot of people are like nobody wants to stay at home there's some people that do there's some kids that if they were offered a, a chance to stay and also for a program they believe is heading in the right direction would totally be willing to do it and if you can flip that one kid to do it and establish that relationship and then grow that even further it's massive for the program 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra Draft on NFL and Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Cofield and Company. All right, I got a treat for you. Listen to these kids. Are they great? Beautiful, beautiful. 
kid's grade or what? Ah, they're wonderful ones. Watch your mouth, your mothers might be listening now. That's very sweet. Now, back to Cofield and Company. All right, we're talking about gift giving and gift opening about 20 minutes ago. I want to get to that in five minutes. But I got to talk about holiday attire. I will, for the UNLV game tonight, the basketball game, I'm doing TV. You're doing the radio broadcast right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Make sure you listen to radio. Sandler, Curtis, and JVT doing sidelines. I'll be doing TV on uh, Cox 125 and Fox 5.2. I will bring out another one of my holiday jackets, which I I fancy, right? I noticed last night that Tom Izzo tried to rock a Christmas sweater. My God, he's a wide body now. He is. He's a big fella. That's 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 a double or triple X sweater. I don't wear sweaters because I know that's what I'll look like. I don't like sweaters. Well, especially the sweaters that, like, not the hoodies, but, like, just the pullover sweaters. No, the pullover sweaters. Those get billowy. They, they, you know what I mean? not, yeah. He had a big green sweater on last night, but he also coached the game as if it were just any other day. Like, it wasn't holiday cheer time. What happened? So he had this, like, ridiculous, like, elf sweater on. It made him look like he was dressed like an elf. But then he starts melting down on the referees, so he's dropping F-bombs and cursing and screaming and being, being held back, but he's wearing this ridiculous green elf sweater. It was one of the best things I've seen, just optically. Just, you mother just screaming at him, and it's just like this happy elf costume. Happy holidays, everybody! <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. So great. All right, what do we got in terms of a gift-giving issue? So I'm not patient I've been bugging Isabel, who, for those who don't know, my wife, uh, all day today because I finally got all of her presents, like, either mail or picked it up or whatever it is. So I'm just like, you want to reach in the stocking? You want to grab one or what? You want to open one? Just one. Just one. You want to open it? I'm really bad when it comes to, like, gift giving in that I really want the person, just namely Isabel uh, or my son, to just open the gift. I don't know why. Maybe it's a selfish thing. I want them to be like, oh, this is great. But... I pester her all the time, and she refuses to do it. Good for her. And I don't, by the way, I don't want to do it for me. Like, I'm not asking that I want to. Actually, I'm perfectly fine waiting until Christmas to open whatever I get. I just want her to open whatever I got her. Is it something that needs to be opened before Christmas? No. Not particularly. I also, this is my thing, too, that I did this year. This is the first. So I have a couple of gifts that tie together. So I'm going to do the thing where I have to, like, I'm going to give her the presents in order. So it's going to be like, here's this. And she's going to be like, what do I need this for? I'm like, well, why don't you open the next one? Find out. Can't wait. Why is she so dead set against it? I don't know, because it's Christmas, I guess. Yep. You got to wait till Christmas. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Or Christmas Eve, I guess. I have this battle every year. I think I finally broke the SO, the significant other. She doesn't even ask anymore. Actually, so... I'm 100% Christmas open the gifts. I never understood the sneak one on Christmas Eve. I never understood that. But I was also the kid of the three of us. I have an older brother and a younger brother. I was also the kid who, you know, once we kind of realized that the gifts were coming from a different source other than Santa and they were hidden in a closet in the house, I was a kid who was like, no, I don't care. I don't want to see them. I don't want to shake them. I don't want to x-ray them. No. The other two are all about it. 
All about Ooh. finding out. Like, why? When I was a kid, I liked I it. love surprises, and there's a time and a place for the gift. I Still, one of my favorite memories uh, as a child is we were actually staying at my grandfather's house this Christmas, and I really wanted... It was it was around the it was actually probably the year that Space Jam came out, and I really wanted a Michael uh, Michael Jordan action figure from Space Jam, and I remember peeking downstairs and seeing the two foot tall Michael Jordan with the basketball in his hand just standing like amongst uh, the toys, and I was like, hell yeah, God, I can't hate that. wait. I hate that so much. What do you mean? I loved it as a kid. Made me so excited to run downstairs. So the SO because uh, she's kind of new to Christmas. Has been all about trying to open the gifts as early as possible. She's new to Christmas. Oh, she, she's Jewish. She was never, oh, never well, a Christmas like, person. It made it sound like she just said, what is this, Christmas? It really, actually, it has been kind of a building process. She was not a Christmas person. So, you know, the last, like, so, five years, like, I'm very much a Christmas person, very much into decorating the lights, all of that. Good. Well, I just, I'm just i going to show my ignorance here. For Hanuk, did you open a gift every day? No. No? Okay. okay. Yeah. They, they, listen, I'm not going to speak on behalf of... Uh, the chosen people, but I, from what I hear, Hanukkah has become, like, has been made, I don't even know what it's been made into. Like, Commercialized? Pe- well, people, like, think it's Christmas, and it's really not. It's not, it's not one of the, like, their, their highest holy days, mm. but because it's near Christmas, it's like, oh, gift, 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 like, not every family is like that with Hanukkah, so, and she was, she's not, not, they're not very, like, super duper on Hanukkah anyway, they, her family. Um, but anyway, on the gift giving thing. The gift opening thing. She's uh, like, wants to do it early, and if we travel, she wants to do it really early. And I think I finally broke her where she like basically did not even ask. But now it's flipped back on me because I don't think she's going to wrap any gifts until she gets back. Oh boy! <laughs> so I started wrapping a bunch of gifts because I'm like, we you got to have the image of a tree full of gifts. That's what we did. There's a lot of gifts under our tree that aren't for us yeah. or for Diego. Yeah. It's for like other people, other people but it's yeah. just it's just to have them there. You just want the appearance, right? It's a, it's, it's a tough it's a tough one. It's a battle. It's a constant battle. I understand. I see the look on your face. You're like, do I say this about the wife or not? I'm going to hold back. No, I mean, she's. Okay. I want her to. She's the one that she wants to. And now that I know that she's safely home, uh, so now I know I'm not going to get in trouble. Like, I've been. Because I, I, it's something that she's been wanting. Like, she keeps, like, bugging me about. So uh, I finally okay. so got you're, it you're for excited. her. You're yeah, excited. Yeah, so I'm excited to give it to her. I like is that. Is what it is. I'm also excited to give her a gift. Oh. Is there any, is there any chance that. She won't be that excited. You're going to be let down. Is it a guarantee she's going to love it? No. So I actually. So one Uh-oh. of the things we argue about actually, this is going to be the thing that that she does. She go. She'll she'll get the gift and she'll be happy, but she'll immediately go to how much did this cost? Oh, don't do that. Right. And I like we actually we kind of have you like, work very hard. You're a wealthy young man. Right. And so we actually I'm I'm, I'm stinking rich actually. <laughs> um, we finally had like not like the blow up, but I was just like, look, all right, it's Christmas. I'm not doing anything we can't, like, and I'm not buying anything incredible. Like, just enjoy it. And she was like, okay, fine. There's no spending limit that's put out? Well, there isn't, but I'm also not buying things worth hundreds of dollars. Okay. You know what I mean? Boy, I'm excited to hear what this is. I hope she tweets it out. She won't. She's a, she's a good Twitter follower. Or follow. I don't know what she's saying half the time because I'm not fluent, but. <laughs> Does she tweet in Spanish a lot? She's been doing a little bit last couple of days. She did okay. it. I had to look it up. There's something about farting, but maybe I just got a bad translation. Pedo has like a lot of different meanings, so like <laughs> it could I, be. I got a Google Translate. I was like, I don't know what this means. It's kind of disjointed on the English side, but I'll just go with it. Like there's there's a Spanish phrase that, and I'm, I'm very much paraphrasing here, but that like it's about getting drunk, 
but like literally translated, it's like something about an old lady farting. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> what an MLB offseason. No yeah. segue there. It's been freaking awesome. Gift giving for fans all over baseball. And that's the way it should be. This Friday, air your grievances on Cofield and Company's Festivus. Compile your list of complaints and call the show live. Or record a message at 702-509-1325. <laughs> You don't understand. I really can't stay. It's cold outside. I've got to go away. It's cold outside. This evening has been. I hold your hands. They're cold as ice. Rolling on on this Thursday, Silver Sevens. John Von Tobel, Cofield, James helping out. We got Festivus going down tomorrow, so make sure you call in tomorrow. Airing of grievances about this show and any other show on uh, ESPN Las Vegas and Fox Sports Las Vegas, Raider Nation Radio 920, 1230 The Game. Really, anything you want to complain about, call in. John, you're looking perplexed. What's going on on social media? Oh, it's not social media. It's just I, I always forgot how weird Baby It's Cold Outside is from a lyric standpoint. It is a weird song. It's But sad. innocent. Let's not take it too seriously. Oh, my, what's in this drink? It's not very innocent. Chuckle, chuckle. Can I read you my favorite line? Ch- chuckle, chuckle. Oh, no. We're uh, not doing this again like we did four years ago with all, all, the, all the fake outrage. Well, it's not fake. No, it's just a weird song. It is it's, a weird song. Like the, I ought to say, no, 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 sir. Mind if I move in closer? At least I'm going to say that I tried. What's the sense in hurting my pride? It's quite the stanza. Don't take it too literally. (laughs) Uh, College basketball this afternoon. Man, the West Coast Conference continues to smack around the Mountain West. San Francisco with the upset win against UNLV, 11-0 close to the game. And then last night, San Fran followed it up by kicking the crap out of uh, Arizona State, 97-60. That's Pac-12. Santa Clara. Was down 36-34 against Boise. Uh, They won by 15. Santa Clara wins. So not going as well as they hoped in uh, Boise, Colorado State, and Wyoming. That all said, they're all going to be second-half teams because Boise is kind of developmental with some of their rotation. And uh, Shaver was out today, their point guard. Colorado State's just kind of getting together now with Isaiah Stevens back, Uh, although I don't know if they're going to be really good. And Wyoming, if EK comes back, can be really good. But And they played a good schedule. So Mountain West is pretty crazy. West Coast Conference is two spots behind Mountain West in Ken Palm? Yeah, two spots. But I'm guessing that team for team through about team seven, they're more than even with the Mountain West Conference. I would say so. I think what's, what's weighing it down, too, is the fact that the Ken Palm does seem to have a lot of respect for the Mountain West. San Diego State, Boise State, Utah State, and New Mexico are all top 65 programs, according to Ken Palm. So I think that would weight that pretty heavily. And even if you include, you even go down further, I mean, uh, again, according to Ken Palm, the top, what are we talking about, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams down to Colorado State are all top 100 programs. I think that weights it pretty heavily for them, unless, and then you get to the West Coast Conference, and the drop-off is pretty steep after the top two. You have a bunch of, you know, a couple of 80s, and then into the hundreds. Hmm. Ooh. Okay. Would you make a bet 
at over under one and a half losses, would you take the under? It doesn't give you many options. Gonzaga over under one and a half losses in the West Coast Conference. Here's their record in conference. The last eight years, 17 and 1, 15 and 3. 17 and 1, 17 and 1, 16 and 0, 15 and 1, 15 and 0, 13 and 1. Over under 1.5. I'll go over. Damn it. I wanted the over. <laughs> I, I just, I don't understand. I don't think. What about 2.5? Ooh. You made me think about it, but I still feel like, depending on what the, like, I would assume two over 2.5 two would be a plus price of some sort. I guess it would be yes. right. So yes. I'd go with I'd go with okay. over still. All right. I just I don't know if people understand too. You and I were talking like the West Coast Conference as a whole has gotten so much better in terms of its depth. Even a team like a lot of people would look at a team like Portland and go, oh, "Who cares about a team like Portland? They're seven and nine, and they've been uh, terrible." They're arguably one of the best coach teams in the country, and we have seen them in big spots this season. They got a win over Villanova, by the way. They pushed North Carolina. Uh, they lost by one to Michigan State. It's a really well-coached team that's going to give a team like Gonzaga some problems. And the other teams that you mentioned, San Francisco, others, it's a really solid conference. Loyola's good. Santa Clara's good. Yep. We know about Gonzaga. Sam Aries has been playing basically a, a round robin against the Mountain West Conference. Uh, Moses Wood on Portland. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Former Rebel. Averaging about 14 and 6 and shooting 40% from three. So pretty good college basketball player. And, that, I mean, their coach is uh, one of the better names out there, too. Shantae Legans. Uh, the... The West Coast Conference can be good because they're mostly good academic schools, and most of the places you go to are pretty cool spots to go to school at, right? I'll make the transition to New York and free agency. I don't think New York is a great place to land in free agency. I think it's a hard place to live. The media is a pain in the ass. Many of the fans are unappreciative. So Steve Cohen has overcome all of that, those objections, by spending. And what it's doing to baseball I think is wonderful. I think it's awesome Mm -hmm. because it's putting – I think it shines a light on owners who don't try and have been pocketing the money and running this scam on their local fans like the Reds, the Pirates, the Royals, the A's. Those are small markets. And and others. Oakland's a small market. Yeah, those are small markets. What Uh are you talking about? Minnesota with uh, Daddy Polad versus Polad Kids went from small market to medium, almost big market. And, by the way, Minneapolis is not a small market. But how awesome is this? And then I can't wait for the whining around baseball from these cities and these fans. And I've seen it. Like, oh, who'd want to root for a team that you bought? I would. I just want to win. I don't care. I, I, I want owners who want to win. And, and if, you're, if you're one of those people out there, John, who wants to defend billionaires, what is wrong with you? Right. I am, as somebody who is a fan of a team whose general manager told fans, don't worry. Santa's coming, yep. and then Santa never came, and you're watching all these other teams spend money on guys who are going to be awesome role players and, and compete and allow that team to compete for championships. I would love it. How absurd. Sorry, I cut you off. How absurd is it that a team in the Los Angeles market, yes, Orange County is in that market, and Orange County has lots of money, that a team in that market has Otani and Trout and will not add around it. Why? Why can't the Angels do what the Mets have done? I have. Well, I mean, have five of those guys. Oh, I mean, they can't can't get all of them. Why not? Right. Why? And it's hilarious watching it because you see like this, the shortstop market right the whole time. It was like, oh, maybe it's going to be Correa. Oh, maybe it's going to be Swanson. Oh, maybe. nope, 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 nope. No, it's going to be none of them. They never spend money. 